0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, so late um, Friday night, um, we got back in, as Brian said, from an awesome week at Laguna Beach over in Panama City for our student ministries Um, summer camping. We had an amazing time. We did a lot of crazy games as the students can attest. One of my favorites was ultimate food instead of ultimate frisbee. So you can put the two and two together. The raw fish though with a fin was still on it. Amazing. Um, And so we used cabbage and pizzas and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty cool on the beach. Um, also, some of our leaders saw sharks. Uh, I was one of them. Um, the shark was only about this big, about a, maybe a foot or so. It felt like it was four feet long, okay? And this little kid, we're not part of our group, so he was a kid. He literally grabs a shark. I don't like, like he was bare grills, And I'm thinking, there's no way. And as I'm looking at him, me and that, me and that shark, our eyes connected. And I knew what he was saying. You get in the water, I will kill you. All right? Because they do. Again, they will kill you. And so um, I didn't go much further than like knee deep. Um, It was like baby pool water depth was good enough um, for me, but... We did. As, again, as Brian said, we saw God do some amazing things throughout the week. Uh, one of the things we saw was just the community develop within our students and, and uh, that bond and that friendship and the unity that was felt. Um, but then on top of that, on that Thursday night, God's spirit just fell and we saw kids just going up to one another and praying for one another and again, souls getting saved. And so thank you for your prayers. Um, thank you for your support. Um, we, are, we are blessed to be able to walk along some, some amazing students. And you would have been watching a video if I'd been wise enough to check my jump drive last night. Um, but I didn't. And how fitting, um, since this morning we are starting a new series on wisdom. And um, no one has more knowledge to speak on this subject than a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon. There was no equal to him. That's what 1 Kings 4, 32 through 34 tells us when it talks about his wisdom. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight. And a breadth of understanding is measureless as the sand on the seashore. And we all know, you, if you've ever tried to count the sand, it's impossible. It's a pointless task. And Solomon's wisdom and understanding is like that. It was measureless. It had no bottom to it. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So over the course of the next several weeks, we are going to to go to God's word and look at some of the wise sayings that Solomon gave us that we find in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And when you think about that word wisdom, um, it's all around us. We don't have to look very far to find it. You can find it from your mechanic to your doctor. And what makes them wise isn't that they have just studied uh, about what they are doing or they know how things work, but they've applied that knowledge to their craft. They've gotten their hands dirty. They've used that knowledge. And that's exactly what wisdom means. If you were to look in the dictionary, you would find that it defines wisdom this way. Knowledge that is gained by having many experiences in life. You see, this definition tells us wisdom is never opinion. And how fitting in our world today, it seems like everyone, it has an opinion about something or a group of people and they're screaming it at us and saying, you need to apply this to your life. And if you do, your life will be more satisfied. It will be more abundant. But this definition tells us that wisdom is never opinion. It also says that wisdom is never just simply knowledge or the degree you have or the test score that you got on that test. It isn't just simply knowledge. Rather, wisdom is taking that knowledge that you've learned through books and the degrees that you've gotten, the up and down times that you've walked through and the various life experiences and you apply it to your everyday life. This is exactly how the Hebrews of old saw and viewed wisdom. To them, it was applying their knowledge to the matter of practical living. And, And while there's a lot of wisdom around it, around us. And all of it is for, or much of it is for our good. Uh, Because I, I, let's be honest, I'm thankful that we have a mechanic and I'm thankful for his wisdom. If not, I would have come in on a horse today. Maybe some of you are there with me. I don't know how any of that stuff works. So I trust my mechanic. And while much of that wisdom that is out there is for good, the wisdom that you and I as believers are called to pursue, more than just having another degree or or life experiences, is a wisdom that is from above. It it is rooted and centered on God. Why? Because he's the source of true wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 would tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I think if you were to sum up what Solomon is saying in this passage, he would say that if you as a believer want to be truly wise in life, it starts with surrender. It has to start with surrender because you can't truly fear the Lord and respect him and have this awestruck wonder of who God is and let him be the Lord of your life unless you surrender. And then once you surrender and you start leaning into his understanding and you dive into his word and you start applying it to your life, you truly do become wise. Today, we're going to see that Solomon has something to tell us about the wisdom that is found in trusting in God. It's found in one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. And even though many of you probably know that passage by heart, go ahead and turn with me to that passage. And while you're making it your way there, what we'll see this morning is that Solomon gives us as believers three key commands. That if we truly do trust God, we will take these commands and we will apply them to our life. We'll put them into action. And if we do that, Solomon says, we will experience great blessing. So let's read what he has to say in Proverbs three starting in verse five. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The first thing that we see Solomon has to tell us about trust. And the first command he gives us is that the trust God desires is an exclusive trust the trust God desires and really demands is an exclusive trust. And we're gonna park on this truth for a little bit and stay on this one a lot longer than, than the other two because really everything, the other two commands really hinge on this first one because if you don't trust God with all your heart, you're not going to lean totally on God. You're going to lean somewhat on your own understanding. You're not going to acknowledge him in all your ways, because in some, in some instances, you're going to try to make much of yourself. So it starts by trusting God with an exclusive trust. And immediately when I hear that word Exclusive, my mind takes me to a news channel that's promoting um, an exclusive interview or debate. And with the presidential elections in full swing, usually it's with one or some of those presidential hopefuls. And when we hear that word exclusive, that news channel is telling us something, right? It's telling you and I that if you want to watch this debate or watch this inter- interview, it's going to happen on this channel, you, you, regardless of how you feel about it. There is no other option. And this is exactly what Solomon means when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I don't know about you, but I have to fight so hard against the option stuff and not just when it comes to food, because I love to eat, but I also have to fight against it in my spiritual life. Because sadly, too many times I convince myself that it's okay to have this buffet style mentality when it comes to spiritual things. So I'll go down the line, I'll go, absolutely, I want God. I believe he's my Lord, he's my savior, that he's got plans for me, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, he loves me. I wanna honor with him with my life. So yes, give me God, but I also, I really need to have some dependence on maybe my family. I need to have a little bit of dependence on my money, right? Because without it, we don't have clothes, we don't have food on the table, I need to have some dependence on my job because without it, I'm not gonna have money. And maybe we even add in some dependence on self-image. And because the majority of these things are good, we convince ourselves that it's okay to have this buffet style mentality when it comes to God. It's okay to have God plus other things, but please hear me, this is sin, it's idolatry. However, an exclusive trust, the one we are talking about, makes no room for a God plus you fill in the blank type of faith. An exclusive trust makes no room for a hesitant faith where you're going, God, I don't know if you're going to come through. God, I'm not not sure if I should take you on your word and your promises. I, I don't know. I don't know if I should believe you. I don't know if I should have a complete faith. But an exclusive trust requires a complete faith. And an exclusive trust makes no room for working on a plan B. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're pretty good at making plan Bs, aren't we? I mean, we're pretty good at going ahead and thinking about how our life should be or the direction we want to take. If God doesn't answer us the way we want him to answer us, or if he doesn't respond in the time frame that we demand that that is acceptable, we're going to go with our plan B but an exclusive trust makes no room for a plan B. This exclusive trust we're talking about is one that requires you to abandon all other options and place all of your confidence in who God is and what he says he will do. And if he doesn't come through, you and I are doomed. That's the complete confidence that God desires. That's what exclusive trust looks like. Let me me paint it to you this way. One of my favorite low ropes course activities is the trust fall. And I love the trust fall because it requires you to place all your faith and trust in the people below you that are gonna catch you. And so as you go up this ladder and you climb it, you're already feeling a little nervous. Your palms are starting to sweat and you're thinking, I may come and see you soon, Jesus, if they don't catch me. And then you get up to the edge and you turn around and I'm not gonna fully demonstrate because I'll come and see y'all and I know y'all won't catch me. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tuck my arms in and I'm gonna yell out falling. And when they respond fall, I know that it's clear, it's good that they're gonna catch me. And as you fall backwards, you can't help but feel a little fearful because now you're vulnerable. Now you're exposed. Now you don't have control over the situation and you're falling back and you're putting all your complete faith and trust in those people to say, you better catch me because if you don't, I'm doomed and I'm gonna be hurting for maybe weeks or months down the road. This is what it means to have an exclusive trust. This is what it means to have a complete confidence in God where you're saying, God, I'm gonna place everything I've got in you. I'm going to be completely exposed. I'm going to be completely vulnerable. There are no other options that I'm depending on in my life. If you don't come through, I am doomed. I'm going to trust you in every area of your life. And here's the thing. You and I can have an exclusive trust in God because who God is and what his word tells us about him. We're not going to trust someone unless they know that they're for our good, that they're for us. And this is what we see all throughout scripture is this amazing God. And so here's just a few reasons of why you can have an exclusive trust, a complete confidence in only God. The first reason is he loves us. Uh, Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, Paul talks about the immeasurable riches found in Christ. And he's talking also about this love. And this is what he says. And I'm going to back up into verse 17, but... Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says, I pray that you begin to have the strength and you begin to even fathom and understand the love that the father has for you. The height and the depth and the width of this love. The, the father's love that he has for you and he, and he lavishes upon you and me. It's complete. It's perfect. It's holy there's no other type of love that's found on earth like this. Only God can give this type of love. The second reason that we can have an exclusive trust is because he doesn't change, which is huge because it seems like every day things are changing. You grab an electronic device, you buy a new one. By the time it's in your hand, it's out of date. The climate change I mean, it seems like every single day we're talking about global warming and it's not global warming. It continually changes. People change. People are trying to redefine truth. But our God never changes. He's never shaky. He's never wishy-washy. He doesn't change his mind about his plan and go, yeah, I messed up in your life. I need to redirect you somewhere. He's always working his plan. He's a God that never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever saying goes is what you see really is what you're going to get with God. He doesn't change. This is what James tells us in verse, in chapter one, verse 17, when he says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Because our God doesn't change, it leads us to the third reason you can have an exclusive trust. And it's because you can take him at his word. Why? Because his word is true. It is without error. God actually is truth. He defines that word. Proverbs 30 verse five would say, every word of God proves true. And this passage isn't talking about just like The overall scripture is true. It's talking about every detail of scripture is true. It doesn't contradict itself. It has no error in it. And because of that, I know that when I apply this to my life, it's going to make me look more like Jesus. It is for my good. His word is always true. So you can take him at his word. And finally, the last reason you can have an exclusive trust is because he's redeemed us. Galatians 3.13 talks about how Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. You and I, as we all know, we deserve death and hell and everything that comes with it because of our sin, but Christ in great, in his great riches and mercy and grace and his love for us, he came down to us that if we put our trust in him, that we can now have a relationship with him and live with him forever and have this abundant life here and now because of all that Christ has done for us, he's redeemed us. And I don't know about you, but, but if there was anyone worth placing an exclusive trust in, it's got to be Jesus. Jesus. Because I don't know any stock market that has a better return. I don't know a job. I don't know a person or a self-help coach that can do what Jesus does and do it so perfectly. There's no rival to Jesus. And that's why you can have an exclusive trust in him. And since we're talking about exclusive trust in God, we have to ask this question how do I know if I have an exclusive trust in God or not? Very quickly, here are three questions that you you can begin to ask yourself and examine in your life to see if you really trust God with an exclusive trust. The first one is, do I obey God's word or simply agree with it? Do I obey God's word or do I simply agree with it? God's word was never meant just to be agreed upon or given a thumbs up on Facebook because we like the passage and we like the pretty picture in the background. Agreeing doesn't make me a follower. An exclusive trust requires me to say, God, I'm trusting who you say you are and I'm applying your word to my life. And, And even though I may fail you at times, I'm gonna continually pursue and run hard after you. I have an exclusive trust in only you. Obedience should mark the life of a believer, not just simply agreeing with God's word. So when we apply it to this verse, what we're saying is I'm trusting God with everything I have. I'm holding nothing back. The second question you can ask is how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Because you see your prayer life reflects the faith that you've placed in God. Do you pray to God about everything or only occasionally when things are out of your control? Remember what we said earlier, an exclusive trust makes no room for a hesitant faith. It requires a complete faith. And what I find is when you have an exhaustive and an exclusive faith and trust in God, your prayer life is rich. It's powerful. It's consistent because you're not coming to God sporadically, but you're coming to God about everything so how is your prayer life? And what does it tell us about your faith? Third question is, when was the last time you drew a circle around something in your life and asked God to do something God-sized? When was that last time you drew a circle around something in your life and you asked God to do something God-sized? This requires risk. But so often we don't like to risk. We like to have run all the, all the systems and all the models and know that the steps we're gonna take, they will benefit us. They will work out for our good and we've got it under our control. But what if by doing that, we were missing out on what God wanted to do in and through us? And I'm not talking about this health and wealth mentality. I'm simply talking about what God wants to do in and through you to advance his kingdom. When was the last time you risked and and you said, God, I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money to fix this or do this. It's going to be you coming through and moving in a God-sized way. When was the last time you risked? Uh, I want you to hear what Kent Hughes has to say in his commentary about taking a risk for God. And when I read it, I, I know that I was convicted by it. He says, when was the last time you diminished your future socially, financially, professionally for his sake? When was the last time your life looked obviously different from the life of someone who does not trust Jesus at all? If you never surprise an unbelieving friend by your sacrifices for Christ, it is probably because what you are living for is the same earthly payoff he is living for. But if you trust the Lord entirely, you will trust him exhaustively across the whole of life. So Solomon gives us this first command and he says that the trust God desires and demands is an exhaustive and it's an exclusive trust where there is no other option. There is no other plan B. And then he moves into the second command. And, he, and, and it is we are to rest our understanding on an all-knowing God. We are to rest how we perceive things to be, how our life should look like, all of our plans that we've made for ourselves. We're just supposed to rest all our understanding on a God who knows everything and who is always working his perfect plan. This is what Solomon means when he says in Proverbs 3, 5, do not lean on your own understanding. When I hear that word lean, My mind takes me to the crutches I had when I broke my ankle several years ago playing basketball. And if you've had crutches before, you know exactly what they do as well. Those crutches, they they hold you up. They help support you. And if you took those crutches away when you really needed them, you're not only gonna fall, but you may even hurt yourself and set you back from healing And this is what Solomon is talking about. Just like crutches, Solomon says as a believer, you should never use your own understanding as crutches to help you make your decisions and make your plans for your life. Because if you do, if you lean on your own understanding and that's it, you're gonna fall. And you're gonna wind up with hurt or regret or pain down the road. And if you think about it, if there would have been any man to say contrary, to this, it would have been Solomon. I mean, remember what we just read at the start. I mean, kings are sending people to Solomon to learn from him. Solomon has wisdom and understanding that cannot be measured. And surely if there was anybody to say different, it would have been Solomon saying, Hey, I've got another plan that if you take these steps, you're going to have peace. You're going to have the abundant life, but he doesn't. He knows better. And he says, lean into God. Do not lean on your own understanding. But far too often I am, and probably so are you, guilty of doing just that. We let the voice of our understanding mute the voice of God. We let the voice of our understanding, the way we think things should work, all the plans that we've already put in place, mute and override God. And here's how we choose the path that is the most comfortable to us. That is the path of the least resistance, the path that will keep us safest, the path that will benefit us. And did you notice at the end of every one of those is us, or you could replace it with me because it's always about elevating me and what is best for me. I'm the king of my life. I'm calling the shots, not God. But when you look at God's word, you see that God actually never says, play it safe. He never does. He actually says, I'm, I'm calling you to penetrate darkness because I know that I'm the only one that can change people. I'm the only one that can break the, the bondage of sin. I'm calling you to penetrate the darkness, not just play it safe and choose your own path and play it comfortable we look in God's word and we see that God never says to make plans that will benefit us to try to figure out how we can have our best life. Now, rather, God says, I'm calling you to live a life that makes much of me that advances my kingdom. And whenever we lean on our own understanding, it will always take us to a place where we don't want to be. It always takes us to a place of regret, hurt, maybe depression, maybe wondering where in the world did things go wrong? We're always wasting time. We're backtracking. And the costs are too great when we're talking about making decisions that deal with our family, how we use our finances, how we parent our marriages. The cost is far too great to lean on our own understanding. I want to be careful and make sure we understand. I'm not saying that you don't use your common sense and you don't use these amazing minds God has given you, absolutely not, use them. But we have but we have to be careful that we don't lean on our own understanding and we let our knowledge determine the path that we're gonna take. Why? Because you and I, no matter how many life experiences we have, no matter how many people look up to us or how many degrees we have, one thing remains for all of us, we're prone to error. Proverbs 28, 26 tells us that to depend on self is foolishness. You and I many times don't see the big picture, even though we think we do. But if we have a relationship with Christ, we know the one that has painted the whole thing. So instead of resting on my own understanding and using it to make my decisions, I'm gonna rest and lean into God and and trust him and what his word says, knowing that he's gonna point me to the right path. Which means maybe for some of you in the decisions you have coming up, maybe it's about a job. Should I take it or should I not? Maybe it's about finances. How should I use them? Maybe it's a relationship you're considering. Maybe it's in your marriage or how you parent it means, you know what, I'm not gonna go with my gut instinct or my emotions. And we love get in up, getting caught up in our emotions. But I'm not gonna use those to make my decision. Instead, when my gut instinct says go one way, I'm gonna hold back. I'm gonna surrender my ways. I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna seek God's face and say, God, show me what you want for my life. Make your will very obvious to me. And when he tells us to walk a certain way and maybe we don't like it or maybe we don't see how it all adds up instead of overriding God and overruling him, we're going, I'm gonna humble myself and trust you because you know it's best for my life. then Solomon takes that second command and and he moves into the third command when he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Ultimately, what he is saying is that in er every area of your life, we are to recognize God's authority. Notice Solomon didn't say in just parts of your life or when you feel like it or only on Sundays are you to acknowledge him and to praise him and let him be the Lord of your life. He says in your private life and also in your public life, you are to keep your eyes on Jesus and to make much of him. So, so when you play sports for students or when you're at school, or when you're at your workplace, or when you're at home watching TV, or how you parent, or how you use your finances, you're all about making much of Jesus in all areas of your life. And this making much of Jesus or the acknowledgement that Solomon is talking about isn't just like a simple shout out or a thank you that we usually see on an award show. Celebrity comes up and I think everybody does it. They go, I wanna thank God. And they go on thanking a bunch of other people. This is not what he's talking about when he says acknowledge God. He's not talking about an honorable mention or a token shout out as we're going out the door and we're saying, hey God, I know you're the Lord of my life. I'm gonna trust you. And then we just go about our day. What he's talking about is something so much more than that. It's one in which we seek his kingdom over our own. We recognize he's God. That's that's who we exist for. That's who we live for. And so we live a life of surrender and say, God, here's everything. I place complete confidence in you. This is what it means to acknowledge him. And what happens is when we apply these three commands in our life, Solomon tells us that there is a very practical promise at the end of them. He says, he will make your path straight. And I think we all know this, but I think it needs to be said every path you and I choose has a destination. Every path has a destination, but there's only one path that will lead us to the abundant life. There's only one path that will lead us to overflowing joy and leave us satisfied. And that's a path that points us to Jesus Many times when we read this passage that he'll make your path straight, we think that that means when I start applying these three commands, whatever path I'm already on, God's just going to smooth out and make it nice and easy selling. But that's actually not what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying when you apply these three commands to your life, that he will make the path you were to choose very obvious. And I don't know about you, but I hate when I have a bunch of options. Especially like going to eat with my wife, and she's like, "I don't know what I, what, what I want to eat. What do you want to eat?" And I'm going, "I don't know." And so we sit there for like 30 minutes trying to decide what to eat in this city. I hate options. I want it to be very obvious for me what I'm supposed to do or where we're supposed to go eat. In the same way, God says, when you apply these three commands, I'm going to make my path very obvious to you. You you don't have to doubt. You don't have to look around. It'll be very clear the the path that I'm calling you to walk and what my will is for your life. And that path isn't about a best life now. It isn't about living happily ever after. You're gonna hit mile markers of hard times and you're gonna face persecution. We know that because God's word tells us. See, this path that he wants you and I, I to walk is all about Jesus It's all about us knowing him. It's all about us being made more into his image. And so when we trust him with all of our heart, when we lean not on our own understanding and all our ways we acknowledge him, he'll make the, the path that we are to walk very obvious. And this path is one that leads us straight to joy. It leads us straight to a God honoring life. It leads us to that abundant life that only Jesus can give. This is a life that is not wasted. This is a God-honoring life, but you can only find it when you apply these three commands. You can't only apply one. You can't apply just the ones you like. You have to apply all three. And when you do it, Solomon says, there's a promise at the end of it. You know, almost four years ago, Kelly and I were in the interview process here at the brook. And while everything that we heard sounded great, and the people we met were amazing, especially Brian—I mean, he told me to to tell you Um, that—but while every every person we met was amazing, and our gut instinct was saying, "Absolutely, sign us up," we had to take a step back, Kelly and I, and go, "God, we're asking for Your will to be done, not ours." And, And we're asking for You not just to open up a door or to crack a door but we're asking you to make it completely obvious, like garage door open, obvious. And then Lord, we'll know that you're calling us to walk through that, that that's your will. And we prayed that way because we knew how very easy it would be to listen to our gut instincts, to listen to our emotions and just to rush in and say, absolutely, we're gonna be at the brook. But we knew if we did that, we were actually working off our will and not God's. And we knew eventually down the road, working off our will would lead us to a point of maybe regret or disappointment, or maybe even just a brokenness and hurt. And so thankfully, though, God showed us what his will was for our life. And we've been here almost four years and we've been blessed to be a part of this church family. And so let me encourage you this morning to, to seek God. Let me encourage you that if you think that your plan is better and the world's plan is better for your life, it isn't. God's plan is the best. And if you could just even begin to see what God wants to do in and through you and your mind be able to comprehend, I think our brains would just shut down because we're going, wow, God wants to do this in me and through me but it starts with acknowledging him and trusting him in every area of your life where you don't have a grasp on anything, where you're not just trying to add some things in to God to maybe make it better to you. You're saying, God, all I have in you, I'm placing complete confidence in you. In everything I do, I'm gonna make much of you, Jesus. I'm gonna honor you with my life so that when people look at how I work, when people look at how I do my schoolwork students, they're gonna see Jesus and not myself. And that you wouldn't lean on your own understanding because you're setting yourself up for hurt. May I encourage you to seek God's path for your life and start applying these commands to your life. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you go, I'm on this path. Well, first of all, praise the Lord. And let me encourage you to keep on that path. Keep seeking him. But maybe there are some of you that you're going, man, my path, if you knew what my path looked like, you'd see a bunch of switchbacks, a bunch of U-turns. And you're probably feeling like maybe it's too late. Maybe I missed the opportunity to get on God's plan for my life. And the good news is it isn't. Solomon never puts a timetable on these commands. All you have to do is stop trusting in yourself and lean into God. And so may it be this morning that we listen to one of the wisest men to ever live. And King Solomon, instead of pointing us to some self-help, to something that we could fix on our own. He points us to Jesus and says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is a promise worth pursuing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray, Lord, that in these next few minutes that your spirit would have his way, or that you would speak to us, that you would show us the areas of our life maybe that we're still placing our reliance on ourselves or the things that we know or the degree that we have or the books that we've read. And we're not trusting you with all our heart. God, would you show us the areas, maybe in a relationship or how we use our finances, or the things that we're pursuing where we're leaning on our own understanding because that's what makes sense to us. That's what we've been taught since we were kids, that's what the world says. When in reality, all those things will lead us to heartache and regret. All those things are prone to error and only you are perfect. Only you satisfy. Only you can give us the abundant life. So God, show us those paths that we're walking that aren't making much of you. God, and may we come to a place of repentance and say, God, I'm turning from these things. I'm no longer having a hesitant faith. I'm no longer having a a God plus something else type of faith. It's only you, Jesus, and I'm falling back into you. And if you fail, I'm doomed. And Lord, I, I thank you that your word tells us you never fail us. So God, may it be today that we place all of our confidence in you and we walk the path that you desire us to walk. So God, we, we need you every second, every minute, every day to fight against what the world tells me I should pursue and to pursue the one and only thing, the name that is above all names.